Now you go ahead, grab your Bibles, and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we are uh, this morning, and John's gospel is where we're going to be for whatever the foreseeable is just now. Um, so um, we're going to be in John chapter 1. Hopefully you got a copy of Uncovered John as you came in through the door. We'd love you to be able to take that away and maybe use that as a resource round about this series uh, with the goal of, uh, of sharing uh, Jesus with, through John's gospel with the people you know and spend time with and people who don't know him yet. And, and really that's what we're particularly interested in, knowing him. We just sang about treasure of greatest price. Great are you, Lord. And really, we should be uniquely interested in knowing Jesus for ourselves and also uniquely interested in uh, the people around about us coming to know him as well. And that's really what John is interested in. Uh, he, he describes in, in his gospel the purpose of him writing at the, end of chapter, at the end of chapter 20. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples. It's going to be up on the, up on the screen for us. We're taking a look. We're at the beginning, John 1, 1 to 9. So, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples. This wasn't in my notes, was it? Okay. Maybe the next one. Next one. If you're watching at home, this is going to be awesome. There we are. John 20, verses 13, 31. Sorry, sorry, Al, that was my fault. Now, Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the, that's the purpose of knowing Jesus, that we may have life in his name. And the purpose of this gospel is that you would know him. And the people around about you, you would be better equipped to share him with the people you come into contact with who don't know him. Because we want people to know him because he's so awesome. And that's really the goal of what we're thinking about in this series. Who is Jesus? We're going to take a look. We're going to spend time in John's gospel. And so today we're imaginatively titled it Beginnings. Beginning, okay? So we're going to read John 1, 1 to 9 this morning. That's where we're going to spend some time in. And this is what God's word has to say to us this morning. Let me read and I'll pray. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Let me pray, and then we'll think about these things. Father, we thank you for what your word tells us about who Jesus is. Thank you for that, that, is a way of self, that he is a way of salvation, that he is the light, he is the word. And Father, we thank you and rejoice in the opportunity to explore him more uh, this morning and in the coming weeks. Father, we pray you would help us as we do that this morning. Help us to trust him deeper, particularly as we consider about the darkness of the world around us and, and some of the, the, the concerns and, and immediate concerns and anxieties that are in the world just now. Father, we pray that even what we think about this morning about Jesus would help us to be light in this world. It would help us to speak into the world of the hope that we have. Father, we pray you would help us in all of these things as we open your word together. Help us to see Jesus more clearly and live for him more fully, we pray. Amen. 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 So, so good to be able to spend time thinking about who Jesus is. And John, John is right. We, we, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to take time to figure out. We need to figure out who Jesus is. In fact, it is eternally important for us to figure out who Jesus is. 
and John wants to help us. That's really what he said there in John 20. That's the purpose of his gospel, is to help us know, more, know Jesus more fully. He sees it. It's eternally important for us to know Jesus fully. So just really two things to kind of guide our thinking about, about the, through the, the verses this morning that we're going to be looking at. First thing is this, Jesus is my origin, so he should also be my orientation. Jesus is my origin, so he should also be my orientation. Okay, so what do we mean by that? Is it because Jesus is the one who has made us, that's what John 1 is telling us, because Jesus created us, he's the one we get to live for and live towards. He is the, he is the magnetic, he's designed to be the magnetic north of our lives. He's the one we're living towards. He's the, he's the little kind of flag on the map that we're directed towards. He is the goal and the substance and the object of everything we are and everything we have. That's really the goal of this. So Jesus, that's what, so, and amongst all of that, Jesus is my origin, so he should also be my orienta- orientation. So the, the, the question is, are you living for him? Are you living for him? Is he, he the one that you're orientated towards? As you think about your doubts and concerns and fears and worries, even at this time with coronavirus and all that kind of stuff, are you being informed? Is your life orientated? Are, are, are the things you're thinking about and the actions you're taking orientated towards him in a, in a way that is evident? So we start at the beginning, and, and, and that's where John takes us, in the beginning, okay? In the beginning. So this is about the origins and orientation of everything, not just you, not just me, but everything. It's the origins and orientation of everything. It's where we started and where we are designed to be heading. And, every, and everything about what we see, the, everything about these first three words in John's gospel, everything about how John opens this account of Jesus' life is epic. It cries out to us to pay attention. This is a big deal. In the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of everything. It's an epic opening. He's telling us in the first three words that what he is going to communicate is on a par with, is as important as creation itself. For those of you who know your Bible, this will not be lost on you, the fact that John starts his gospel with the very, the very first words of God's word altogether back in Genesis. In the beginning, they're the same words. So John is saying, this is, this is a big deal, people. This is a big deal, people. This is as big a deal as creation itself, as vital as God creating the world, as God himself, Jesus Christ, coming into the world to live as a man and to die for our sins. This is huge. This is huge. And this is telling us that the Word was there and the Word was with God and the Word was God, which, which raises a few questions. It says, who is the Word? Well, that's, that, the first question would maybe be this. Who is the Word? Who is it talking about? Well, John has told us that the, John chapter 20, so if we read backwards in some ways, he's told us that this is all about Jesus. His, his, the, the entire gospel is about, about Jesus. So we, we can fairly surmise then that John is talking about Jesus here. This is how John introduces Jesus to us. And we may, we may think, well, well, why so cryptic, John? Why, why so cryptic? But it's entirely appropriate that John would seek to convey something of the mystery that Jesus would make his dwelling among us like this, in these kind of words. Because if we expect Jesus to do something other than blow our minds or confound our expectations, then we have too small a view of him. If you think, if you expect Jesus to do something other than blow your minds as we spend time in John's gospel or confound your expectations about what you, what you would expect from him, then we have too small, then you have too small a view of him. A little time thinking about who Jesus is 
and what he has done helps us see that Jesus being described as the word is entirely appropriate. Which brings us to the second question. Why, why use the term word specifically? Why would he use that term to describe Jesus? Why would he use the term the word? And I love the reason. I love what it allows me to say in the coming moments. I've been a pastor for 15 years in October. I think this might be my favorite paragraph I've ever written. The reason he's called the word specifically is because he is the revealer of who God is, his character and capacity and compassion. His presence tells us the reality of who God is and how God works. He is a statement. He is the statement of God's sovereignty, supremacy, and saving intent. He explains to us, Jesus explains to us the unsearchable greatness of God, the inexpressible riches of grace, and the unfading glory of who God is. Jesus is the revelation of eternal reality, the teller of eternal truth, and the the very embodied definition of eternal deity. He is the only word of saving faith. Jesus is the first word of certain trust, and Jesus is the final word in everything eternal. That's why he calls him the word. And when they say, and by eternal, we mean both ways. Not eternal future, but also eternal past. The word was with God in the beginning. There's an acknowledgement in this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There's something about the relationship that exists within the Trinity. One God, the, and an acknowledgement that God exists in Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If he is both with God and is God, then that's a clear description of the relationship that exists between God the Father and God the Son. So for the people who say that the Trinity is not in the Bible, when we can see here very clearly there's an expression of relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So the Word was with God, but also the Word was God. This is underlining that Jesus is God the Son, and as such he was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. That's the fundamental truth that John is driving us to grasp and the unavoidable truth of what we read here. The Jesus that John intends to introduce us to is not just a good man or an excellent teacher or a miracle worker. He is all those things, but he's so much more than those things. Some people would deny that Jesus is God and using an accurate translation of the Greek in an attempt to justify it, the best example today is the Jehovah's Witnesses who would come and knock on the door and basically use this verse to describe how to, to try and wriggle off the hook that Jesus is God. Their, their translation, we're going to put the, the contrast of the two translations, the one we read from this morning and what their translation up on the screen. In the beginning, this is the New World Translation, which is what Jehovah's Witnesses would use. In the beginning, the Word was, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, with a small g. In the beginning, we read this morning, and we believe this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, now I, 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 meant to, I, I meant to bring my history teacher jacket with me, um, but I left it at home. Um, I do have one. Um, even though I've never been a history teacher, I've always aspired to that uh, status. Everyone loves their history teacher, right? Maybe not everybody. This, th- this thinking is descending from a heresy. So I've written a couple of words up here for you, okay? Um, the, the, I've, I've cleverly wrote them in the wrong order. This is descend- so the, the, that line of thinking that Jesus is not God but was a God that descends from 
a heresy from around about 290 AD called Arianism. Okay, that, that, that's, where, that, that's where that originated. Uh, a, a theologian, a churchman called Arius, basically came, was trying to explain away another heresy, sprang from an earlier heresy called modalism. Okay, so we've got two heresies. I'm going to have to break them down for you a little bit here. Okay, so the, and Arianism sprang from modalism. Modalism tried to solve the Trinity question by suggesting that God existed, existed at different times in different modes or forms, like some kind of um, theological shapeshifter almost moving from Father to Son to Holy Spirit as suited him or was as needed in the circumstances. One God in different shapes at different times. That's what modalism is. So they existed, so existing in different modes at different times. Okay, maybe that's the way to think about it. Working through John's Gospel, we can see that this is not consistent with what Jesus said about the relationship between the Son and the Father and the Spirit and doesn't make sense when you hear, for example, Jesus cry out to God the Father on the cross. If, he's, if he, they're not distinct persons, then that becomes ridiculous, frankly. So, in a, but, in a, but all that to say, in a bid to try and explain modalism, Arius came up with what he called Arianism, which is the idea that Jesus wasn't a God, but he was created. He wasn't, he wasn't God, but he was created as a God. In a bid to try and explain it without drifting into modalism, Arius came up with something just as bad and just as unbiblical. That God created or birthed Jesus, and so he became a God, as described in the New World Translation that we read a few moments ago. That relegates Jesus from his role as God and fundamentally alters the nature of the relationship between him and God the Father. It, fund- it totally changes that and totally changes how we understand Jesus, his capacity, and, 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 and actually alters his saving merit. If we, believe, if, if, if we were to believe that was true. It also reveals a problem with taking a verse out of context and helps us answer without... And, and, and it also reveals a problem with taking a verse out of context, which, which is what has happened here. Now, the challenge we have is when somebody comes and chaps in our door and basically argues this point, our New Testament Greek isn't what it used to be. Hands up if you're with me on that. Okay, your New Testament Greek isn't what it used to be, okay? And so basically what you're doing is you're arguing about some, some, some clauses and some tenses and um, some technicalities of the Greek language, of New Testament Greek language, which um, I, I, my hunch is most of us aren't necessarily qualified to, to engage with on. And, and so therefore we, we kind of feel as if we're drowning in, uh, drowning in our own um, lack of knowledge and we feel massively out of our depth. And I, I, what I want to help you see this morning is you don't need to be. You don't need to be because the, this idea doesn't just hang on John chapter 1. It doesn't just hang on John chapter, John chapter 1. Greg Kukul, who's a, has a, who's a, I think that's how you pronounce his name, it's K-O-U-K-L. The screen, his image is going to be up on the screen. It's kind of, he's written this book called, Tight, called Tactics, okay? Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L. And this is basically how to have kind of conversations around about your faith with people. I really think it's a helpful resource. I'm going to put a link up to that um, some, somewhere over the course of this week. Um, but he, he helps us to think through all of this. He helps us answer, with, answer this question without having to fall back on our knowledge of New Testament Greek, as we have all acknowledged it, which isn't great. What he says is that the answer to this question, that how to answer, is not in, in verse 1, but it's in verse 3. So let's read that together. So he, Jesus was in the beginning with God, so there's a kind of restatement of that. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what he does is he, he has this... Ali, could you come and help me for a little minute, please? I need you to just write some things on the board for me so I'm not having to multitask, okay? So we're going to put some verses... So if you can write... Okay. Um, 
if you can write in this box, all things that never, all things that never came into being. Okay? And while we're doing that, we're going to put some verses up of Alison's writing. We're going to put this up, some ver- some, the verse 3 up on the screen from the New World Translation and from the ESV as well, just so you can see that, okay? If we can get that up, okay? So the ESV say, says, as we've read all things, uh, uh, said, read already, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay? Good, you've done that. All, all things that came into being. Things that came into being, okay? The New World Translation says, all things came into existence through him, And apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. Okay? So, thanks for writing that. Okay, let's swap pens, okay? We're in the same family, so we can share pens. Um, Always thinking. Um, Okay, so what we want to do is, okay, so so we're not all going to write, but we can help. Okay, what can we put into this category here? What, what, would, what, would, what would we agree with something like a Jehovah's Witness coming to our door that we could put in that, in that box there? So things that never came into being. God, okay? So God would be in that box there, okay? So only God is in that box, okay? And what about this side here? What would go into that? What did, even looking at, what, looking at even what the New World Translation says, so the Jehovah's Witnesses verse, seeing what that says, what does that, what does that say comes in, came into being? Oh, they would, they would say that, but what does it say in the verse? That they, the verse, so you're getting them to read that to them. All things came into existence through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into existence. All created things, okay? All created things, if you write that in that box, okay? So this is using their translation to help them see that Jesus is God, okay? So all things, so God wasn't created, all created things were created. Verse 3, in their translation says, if you... So, down here, if you can write, Jesus created all, Jesus, all things created through Jesus. I can never quite figure out the height of the whiteboard either. Um, so, all things were created through Jesus. Okay, if you can come and stand over here in a little moment, that would be great. Okay, so... What we have here, let me just rub this off. What we have here is by our agreement and a Jehovah's Witness agreement or somebody who's an Arian who doesn't believe that Jesus is God. Oh, helps you actually have the little. Everything, so this is everything that exists. Okay? So that's everything that exists are in one of these two boxes. Okay? Now, you ask, let's give Alison a round of applause, actually. You can go and Thank you for helping me uh, with that, okay? Now, you can... So, Greg Kugel's suggestion is you get a scrap of paper or a napkin, you get them to write, write the box, and you get them to read the verse from their translation, and then you get them to fill in, fill in the blanks, do exactly what I get Alison to do there. And what, what you're fundamentally asking them to do is, you, you're, you're landing on this last question, you're saying, okay, so, take a coin. So you've got the bit of paper, you take a coin. Where, which box is Jesus in? Which box is Jesus in? When you look at verse 3 of your translation, what box is Jesus in? And they will want to put him in this. But their own translation doesn't allow them to do that because of these things. All things are either creator or created. All things, it says in their translation, all things came into existence through him. All things. So everything that was created came into being through him. Not even, and it goes further, it says not even one thing 
came into existence. Not even one thing. So by their own translation, they are saying that something has to be either creator or created. Either something was created or it wasn't. So anything can... And, and by, by process of elimination or by extension of that, anything can be both created and not created. Okay? That just doesn't make sense. And, and everything exists in one of these boxes. So if all things, every single one of everything was created through Jesus and by Jesus, then that means he must be God. Nothing. Jesus, John, is, John tells us that the word is God and that the word is Jesus and he was with God in the beginning. He's telling us really clearly he is God and all things were made through him. Nothing that has been made has been made without him. And that includes you. And that's as significant as it sounds. It's why we are saying that because Jesus is our origin, he should also be our orientation. Literally, we owe him our lives. Now, some of this explains why we feel disorientated in the world that we live in. We feel disorientated because our lives are directed towards things other than God who made us and loves us. We think that faith is restricted to some religious engagement, but actually it is the act of building our life upon the promises or provision of anything we choose. So people may have faith in, in their finances, or they may have faith in a relationship, or they may have faith in a career, or they might have faith in their health, which right now is wobbly at best, I'm sure, for a lot of people. Faith is what we entrust our existence to, whether it's a philosophical viewpoint, a financial strategy, or a career plan, or a personal relationship. To that extent, both atheism and financial planning, which seem very different on one level, require as much faith as each other and as anything else that we entrust our lives and commit our ways to. The question is whether the thing that we place our faith in, build our life upon, or entrust our, or entrust our existence to is able to wear the, bear the weight of not just our existence, but also our eternity. That's the question. Not just kind of your faith, will your faith do you for now? It's will your faith do you for eternity? Is the thing you're placing, planting your life upon, building your life upon, is that, will that carry the weight of your, will that bear the weight of your eternity? What John is telling us about Jesus is that he's the only one we can truly have faith in. The issue we often have, though, is the things we depend upon deal in disappointment. The things that we stake our lives upon ultimately offer scant satisfaction. The things we hope in every day have zero capacity to impact our eternity. Jesus coming into the world, the light coming into the world, as we're going to think in about in a moment, was, that was designed to once again give our faith the focal point that our pursuit of fake, fragile, and finite faiths to remind us that those things are completely lacking. All the things we are prone to entrust our lives in other than Jesus or more than Jesus or instead of Jesus or in, 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 by, and, and are a result of ignoring Jesus, they're completely, completely lacking. Faith that depends upon Jesus is what we need for our disorientated lives. Faith that depends upon Jesus is what you need for your disorientated life. So we're looking for life and all that is associated with that idea, meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose. And him was life. That's what the good news is. In him was life, verse 4. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. And him was life. So the conclusion here is that if you are looking for life and all that is associated with that and are looking for that apart from Jesus, you're stumbling around in the dark and settling for something that exists on the spectrum between disappointment and despair. And John says that the life that, the life that has come, that Jesus is the life that was the light of men. So Jesus is my origin, so he should also be my orientation. Let's add to that, on top of that, Jesus is the light, so he is the only one for me to look to. Jesus is the light, so he is the only one for me to look to. The light shines in the darkness, that's what Jesus came to do. The light shines in the darkness. The light would shine in your darkness if you would look to him. That's what Jesus came to do. He is the word that redirects the wandering. And he, is, and, and he is the light that guides the lost. I remember going to a big youth event when I was a kid, and um, the preacher was, uh, had, had loads of great stories, most of which I can't remember the point, I remember some of the stories. But protect me from that as a preacher is why I pray. Um, but he had, he had this story about basically this dad who had this kid, they were on a plane, him and his kid, this dad and his kid, and um, he was standing watching this kid, and the kid was being really obnoxious and so on, and just filling himself up with sweets and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and the dad was starting to get annoyed, and, and then eventually the kid basically had had too many sweets, got too excited, and basically they just vomited everywhere. And to the extent they totally coated themselves with just stickiness and nastiness. And he was telling the story of the, the dad who basically had, their kid had been obnoxious and rude basically still gathered them up into his arms. And it was a bit of a gospel story of how obnoxious and rude we are towards God. I didn't remember the point of this story, but he gathered them up into his arms and cradled them in his arms. And I said, love, isn't, isn't, isn't God the Father amazing? I'm thinking, that's, a, that's an amazing story of an amazing father. I hope I'm a father like that one day. And then my kid puked and I said, yeah, I pass on, firm pass on that, okay? But, but puke, really? Um, this idea of gathering, gathering kids up. Or I wonder if you've ever come across somebody who has, um, you know, they've got themselves into a lot of trouble, they've fallen in the dirt, and basically they need somebody to come and help them up and, and guide them out. Then you're looking, you're thinking, but I've just got my new trainers on. You know, that kind of thing. You know, I, there's, there, you know we, did, we, we have some barriers to, uh, our altruism has some limits. We have some things that hold us back from those kind of things. But the sense here is, the sense here is there was nothing, to, nothing held Jesus back. The light shines in the darkness. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He knew what he was coming in to do. He knew what he, he, he knew the darkness he was about to enter into. And still he came. And the darkness has not overcome it. That's the great hope we have. However dark things seem for us, they cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of hope right here. The things that make your life dark. So just think about those for a moment. What is it that makes your life dark? What's the darkness you have in your life? The things that lead us to somewhere between disappointment and despair cannot overcome the light that is in Jesus Christ. That's what this is telling us. And in many ways, the, the, this highlights the struggle we often have. We struggle because we're looking for light and darkness. And, we, and, and, and in doing so, we look darkly in the one who came to bring light to us. 
Despair and disappointment belong to darkness, where life and liberty, as we've sung about that, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, where, where life and liberty belong to light. Jesus came to be light for you and light for me. And there's a bunch of verses which just point us towards that reality. We're going to put them up and just help us to see. We want to kind of just, let's have a picture of, and see, just to give us a picture of how amazing it is that Jesus would choose to shine the light of his life into the darkness of ours. Matthew 4.16, where it starts again. It seems like a good point, the, dark, the light coming into the world. Matthew 4.16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is... This wasn't just from Matthew. This was something that was prophesied by Isaiah, pointing towards what Jesus was going to come and do. And look, just take a look and see where this has us dwelling without him. The people dwelling in darkness. Darkness and shadow and death. That's really the, that's the picture. It's not too promising. So for people who have darkness and shadow and death, who, who, for whom that is their, the experience of their life, who, who exist in that spectrum between disappointment and despair, how good news is it that great light has come to us who are greatly lost? What great news. Or consider Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's he's. So Jesus came to be light. That's what Matthew 4.16 tells us. Colossians 1.13-14 says that Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look what God has done. Look what God is offering us through Jesus to deliver us, to take us from... We're going to be probably pretty used to getting things delivered to our house maybe in the coming days. So this idea of being being delivered is being taken from one place to another. The idea is of being taken from darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, the place of light that we have. Look what God has done is sending Jesus to rescue us from darkness. Transformation in the domain of Instead of being under the dominion of, instead of being dominated by darkness, we are now declared clean and we are now made light. So great. Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. Jesus came to make us light. I always find these verses in Ephesians 5, 8 and 9 really, really challenging about my preconceptions, about the reality of my sin and the reality of my identity without Jesus. Look what the first three words are. You were darkness. You were darkness. Not you were in the dark, fumbling around for a light bulb. Not that you were in the darkness, waiting to find the light at the end of the tunnel. You were darkness. It was an intrinsic part of who we are. It's that we contribute, that, that it's, and it's not just that the world outside of us is dark, it's that we are dark that contributes to the darkness of the world by our darkness. That's what it's saying. You wear darkness, that's what you wear, so that's why you need Jesus. But now, because of Jesus, look what it says, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You were darkness. Not just in dark, but your identity was dark. Your heart and your soul and your 
life were dark, but Jesus frees us from that darkness and allows us to be declared light in him and so to live in light of what pleases him. So Jesus came to rescue us from darkness. Jesus came to make us light. Jesus calls us, to de- to, calls us now to declare freedom from that darkness. We just finished a series, or recently finished a series in First Peter. So these are maybe familiar words for us, or words that impacted us from, that, uh, from God's word in that series. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's what it means to walk in, as children of light, by the way. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the change in identity, that's what being made change from darkness into light is designed to produce from us as an output of our lives. As, as we've been, been changed from being in the domain and dominion and dominated by darkness, we've been made, we are called in Jesus, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, possessed by God, so that, in order that, you may declare how amazing it is to be living in light because Jesus is light. That's what Jesus makes us. And so we get to make known the excellencies of the light that has called us out of darkness. That is the purpose of our lives. That is the goal of our existence. And that all happens because later on, John wrote a letter and he explains that all, that all of that happens because Jesus allows us to walk in the light. He is not just the one who redirects us towards the light. He is the one who produces the fruit of the light within us. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, 1 John 1, 5 and 7. This is a message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him where we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So right here, Jesus is presenting us with the same choice that we, are, that we face across all of the New Testament. Right, right here, John is presenting us with the same choice that we face across all the New Testament. The choice that, the choice that sometimes looking at our lives highlights, us, uh, highlights us, just even just looking at our lives has us having to make. Here's the choice. Are we going to choose to walk in darkness or light? Are you going to choose to walk in darkness or light? Are you going to choose to believe the darkness? Are you going to choose to believe the light? Are you going to choose to build your life on the darkness? Are you going to choose to build your life in the light? Are we going to choose to walk in darkness or light? Or more specifically, are we going to walk our own way or walk with Jesus? That's the choice that's here. When the light shines in the darkness, the question is, will you flee to it? Will you run to it? Will you follow it? Or will you continue, or will you continue to exist in darkness? That's the choice. So whatever you're living for or building on that isn't Jesus, his greatness surpasses it. His glory engulfs it. His promises overwhelm it. The light shines in the darkness. Look to him, follow him, hope in him. And there's something really immensely personal and tangible about all of this. Jesus coming into the world. This is telling us, Jesus coming into the world fundamentally altered the character of the world. He is the light in what is otherwise dark. He is the light in what is otherwise dark. He engaged the darkness and encountered firsthand and to death the darkness that surrounds us. And, and as we spend time in John's gospel over the coming weeks and months, 
what we're going to see is that John is actually, John is actually an account of the creeping darkness that increasingly surrounds Jesus. As we go through John's gospel, we're going to become increasingly aware of how dark the world really is and how brightly his light shone and how desperately in need of, of him we are. John is an account of creeping darkness that leads to the cross that ends with death being crushed. That ends with darkness being snuffed out. Because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So there are going to be times as we're reading through this that it seems like darkness is winning. In the same way that there are going to be times in your life where it feels like darkness is winning. But when I trust in Jesus, he is able to overcome all darkness that threatens to overwhelm me. That's what John 1.5 tells me. This is telling us that, this is telling you and it's telling me that just as darkness cannot overcome light, neither can the dark things in your life overcome Jesus, who is the light of the world. His light can defeat even the darkest part of you. His light can be shone into the deepest recesses of your sin and darkness. Is telling you that just as darkness can't overcome light, the dark things in your life will never overcome Jesus, who is the light of the world. In fact, the opposite is going to happen. The opposite is going to happen. Jesus is the light. Jesus, the light, is going to overcome sin, death, hell, shame, guilt, disappointment, despair, and all the things that cast a shadow over your life. And John says, don't just take my word for it. There's another guy called John. Not me, but another guy. And this guy's not the light, so he's not Jesus, just to be clear. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to, the, to, bear, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So another guy called John, not Jesus. Who's not the, so he's not the light, but he's another guy called John. So he's John the Baptist. That's who he's talking about. He came as a witness to the light with the goal of all believing in Jesus as the light. Now, there were obviously some people who thought that John the Baptist was the light. Is this a guy who's been promised? Is this a Messiah? We're going to be thinking about him in a, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but his job was to bear witness about the light. That was his job. And the thing to consider here is, even as we're thinking about this for ourselves and the confidence we can have in these things, but also as we're thinking about the confidence we can have and how we would share this with somebody else who doesn't know Jesus, is to remind us that the eyewitnesses are important in history. I should put my history jacket back on. Eyewitnesses are really important. Primary accounts are a significant part of the reason we believe historical accounts. And so John is offering his own account. He is drawing John the Baptist into, that, into the story as well and expressing something of John the Baptist's testimony, eyewitness testimony about who Jesus is. John the Gospel writer, now John the Baptist has something significant for you to say to you about Jesus. They are eyewitnesses of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. So if you're looking for evidence, their testimony is now a matter of public record. I've seen enough crime movies and so on to recognize that that's an important thing. Jesus is a true light. This is what their testimony is. This is John's testimony. This is John the Baptist's testimony. Jesus is the true light. The true light that enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So that's where this whole thing begins. Jesus is about to go into the world and, it's, and the world is going to change forever. 
And the goal of studying God's Word is that Jesus would step deeper into your life so your whole life changes forever. He's going to enlighten everyone. His life, shine, his life shines a light on our sin, shows us the way we should live, and signposts our way to salvation from the darkness of sin and signals the mercy and grace of God. That's what he does. So the light shines. Some will receive him, others will not. The old Puritan saying was the same, sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. But he offers light to everyone. He reveals the heart reality of every person. He is the light, so look to him. He gave you life, so live for him. He's who your soul has been made for. So long for him. Let me pray. All our hope is in Jesus. Everything we have, everything we need, everything we long for, everything we hope for, He is greater. And He came into our darkness. He came into my darkness to shine a light into my life so I need no longer live in darkness, but now I'm allowed to live in light as he is light. Into my despair and into my disappointment, into my guilt and into my shame, he came to speak as the word of God. Praise his name. May my life, may our lives be lived for him. He is the light, let us look to him. He gave us life, let us live for him. Help us to see that he is truly and ultimately the one our souls have been made for. And so therefore their souls, the ones our, soul, our souls have been longing for. Help, us each one of us to, help each one of us to look to him, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let you be, let's sing together, let's stand together. We're going to sing, he is exalted over all. May that be true of our lives, that Jesus would be exalted over all in our life.